in related to freemium there's one more thing i wanted to mention i think this episode is going to be a little longer because we have so much to talk about about freemium um i was watching a talk with nick franklin from chart mogul which is more like in line with your product and he was talking about freemium as well and he had a really interesting point about hard versus soft limits so mm. basically like products with a soft limit like you can use you can use the product as much as you want it just gets more and more annoying um yeah. and then so that would be something like slack it just gets more and more annoying that messages are getting lost and stuff like that yeah um, whereas versus a hard limit where it's like okay you run out of builds like you can't get anything done before you pay for more builds yes um, so it's easier to charge like you need a higher volume to have a product that has soft limits on the freemium plan is basically the 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 idea about it you need a higher volume of what of like p- users because okay. you don't have the heart limit where you was like okay now you guys are going to pay i see yeah i ha- i have i have direct thoughts on this and this is actually my response to that email i think they're connected in the feedback mm. Uh, where, um, and, and this is how I've been thinking about freemium for SimSAS is I, I have one hard limit in the investor version at the moment, which is you can, you can track, uh, and monitor the full metrics history and forecast of three portfolio companies. And if you want to do more than three, um, you have to add a credit card and, and even then it's really inexpensive to add the next one, the next one. Um, we'll see if I keep okay. that. I feel good about it right now, but on the soft side, I think that is it's exactly what Slack did so well is and I think it's brilliant. It's it's almost like how do you you said it gets more annoying what what really is happening too is that underneath the surface maybe unbeknownst unbeknownst to the user because they're not thinking about your product all the time but they're using it, right? But all the while they're using it the the premium features the value of those is actually going up. So mm. they haven't unlocked them yet, but they're becoming more and more valuable. So if you, if you really want to think about it in a way, for a freemium product, when somebody comes and they choose the free version, they're basically saying, look, the value proposition of the paid one just isn't strong enough yet, right? Mm. So what the free product is doing is it's causing them to engage and it's actually strengthening the value proposition of the p- premium version relative to the free version. So to give an example, the ability to search your Slack history has no value when you first sign up for Slack. Like in the first moment, it's irrelevant because you have no history to search. The more you use it, the more important searching that history is. And so the value proposition of the premium version is actually getting stronger. And in that case, it's really a painkiller for a pain that the user creates on themselves, if you want to think of it that way. Um, yeah. they're, creating, they're creating the pain and then the the solution has always been there, but they didn't need it until a certain point. And that's kind of the soft, it is definitely a soft limit because it's it's arbitrary. It's like going to be different for every organization and user. Um, but then there are some other things like uh, that I think about, like creating these soft limits for SimSAS, for example, one of them is also history and it's the ability to, as a founder, 
you know, you're, it's, you're creating new forecasts. Actually, the system's automatically creating new forecasts for you every time your data changes. So it's kind of like an auto, <laughs> it's an auto build happening um, every time they, at, at metrics change on a daily basis. But yeah. um, at first, I don't think companies really appreciate the value of historical forecasts, right? Like the forecasts, the only one that they really perceive as having value is the one they just created. It's like the one they're looking at right now. Yeah, but a sufficiently mature organization, and it's hard to say when this is exactly because it's different for every company. At some point when you go through due diligence or you're looking to be acquired or you're looking to raise money or heck, you're looking to bring on a team member or an executive, what do you need to show them? Ideally, you show them some kind of track record, right? Not just of your metrics, but a track record of hitting your numbers, you know, of achieving your goals of beating your forecasts. And so who knows when that is? It could be two months in for some companies. It could take two years to get there and other companies may never get to that point. But at some point when they go, oh man, I really wish we had some way of showing our track record that now that history of forecasts actually has a ton of value. Yeah, <laughs> um, it makes and, a lot of sense. Hey, it's, it's, it's there, it's ready ready for you to unlock. You know, so And, and I think this is the thing I love about freemium, honestly, is that it, it, it it frees you up to create value among along many other dimensions than you can do in 14 days or seven days or 30 days on a trial. It's like, how would you, (laughs) that can't be a trigger. The one I just described can't be a trigger in 14 days. I mean, (laughs) no, no, no one's going to need that in 14 days. It just, it doesn't make sense. But I think what you're doing with the freemium version is you're loosening a bunch of constraints that you put on yourself with the trial and, I, you know, it, I feel like it gives us a broader canvas to create these triggers and these value dimensions and that can be dangerous, but I think implemented well, it's also very powerful. I mean, let's look, look at Slack, you know, they monetize very fast actually for a freemium company. <laughs> they yeah. went, I think they went to a million ARR and it was under a year. So. And like freemium right now for me is pretty cheap to implement because I don't have it. So like some of the customers I have now will probably just go on a free plan. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'll lose that revenue, but it's very small. But if I wait Mm -hmm. three months and it's like now it's more money, (laughs) do I want to like it just it creates a the it's the longer I wait, like the less motivated I'll be to kind of like postpone that revenue and move to freemium so yeah. it's like it's, it seems like it's a good time to try it out and it's pretty revertible as well yeah. like i could just not do it anymore the, yeah that the switching cost of going to a free model will hurt yeah a lot more telling Einar and rob about like my plans for freemium it really reminded me of telling my parents like that i was going to drop out of uni <laughs> It's a failure failure to launch launch. Yeah. Yeah. I I happen to think freemium is actually a really good fit for for product-centric bootstrappers, though. Um, Yeah. And what you said about that, my friend Danny actually said kind of the same thing on Twitter because he's doing... doing, His main product is um, basically a MailChimp plugin for WordPress. Mm-hmm. And he's been running that for probably five years or something like that. But essentially, most WordPress businesses have a freemium model because they have 
way like all their users almost are on a free product and then they sell add-ons or like premium versions and stuff like that mm-hmm. and he's making i think he has two or three people working for him but his business with from primarily like one or two wordpress plugins are making that that is waking making way more money than a lot of SaaS businesses we know mm. and he's doing freemium and what he said on Twitter was that he liked free because <laughs> yep. it kind of made up it made up for his lacking marketing skills. And that's kind of what you said as well, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Traditional marketing skills. It's, it's, it's a different game. What I want to try with SimSass is this. I really want to try this notion of I'm going to list out all the all the processes in the business. So on the flight home, I'll just talk about it now. So I wrote the flight wheel company on my on the spreadsheet and I listed out, I just started listing out. I didn't know how many I would get to, but I was like inputs, outputs, inputs, outputs, just two columns, input, output, and then an ID on the other one. And I was like, okay, ID is just a number so I can refer to it later. Super and cool. so, <clears throat> yeah. And so it's like, okay, news and updates. I'm going to deliver those. That Those are input. The output is podcast episodes, right? This mm-hmm. is how I'm going to give news and updates, right? Ideas become articles. Articles beget listeners or readers. Podcasts beget listeners. And I just kept going. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah. readers create site visitors. Site visitors become contacts. Contacts become um, accounts, right? Accounts become engaged users or first-time users. First-time users become engaged. I went through the whole thing. I ended up listing out, to kind of fast forward through the middle part where it's basically engagement. Then it gets into... Well, then I can start to, uh, obviously, with these startup accounts, some of them become customers because it's freemium. With those customers, I get revenue. What do I do with the revenue, right? Well, the Mm. revenue feeds into profit. It also feeds into dividends. And it also feeds into the ability to offer other kinds of products at a lower cost than my competitors, right? Mm. And if I offer those, then... What does that do? And I went all the way to the end. I, <laughs> I have 45 of these in a list now. Oh. And a lot of them feed back into others, right? So if I want, I drew this as a list. If I want to draw this as a visual, I could. What I really think is cool, and then I went, I'm trying to jump ahead here too much. What I did next is I highlighted the ones I'm working on right now. So for example, I'm going to click my mouse here real quick to, to bring it up. But Is this like one wheel or is this <laughs> several small wheels like coming out of a big wheel or like how should we think about it? Yeah, I think you should think about this as a center wheel, which is where I'm focused right now. And then off of that center wheel come more. So for example, SimSass has referrals and invitations built in. And those referrals and invitations are just kind of loopbacks, right? So. Yeah. Users invite users, users and refer, which is an external invitation, other users. Um, so think of it as... So we have a little go-to statement some, somewhere. Yeah, exactly. So I have an interior wheel and an exterior wheel. And then some of those things also feed back to each other. It's, it's, quite, it's quite a few. I know in the classic Amazon one that people see, there's, there's an inner wheel and an outer. Uh, on the blog post I shared with you, and we could link this in the show notes, there are several wheel, uh, loops kind of all uh, bumping into each other. But what I did then is two things before I finished. I highlighted the ones I'm working on right now. So that is, um, I highlighted the ones that I'm actually concerned with. So it's, you know, traffic to the site, creating contacts, which is convert kit, you know, entries um, or uh, surveys, right? Those contacts becoming users, right? So that's another one. So that was one, site visits and contacts. 
I'm also working on contacts becoming users. I'm also working on users having a good first experience. I'm working on user, uh, users repeat usage. And then lastly, mm-hmm. lastly, I'm working on repeated visitors, repeat usage, becoming customers. Like, and that's it, right? I just want those five processes to work really well. And I don't care. This is the thing. I'm not thinking about in terms of marketing or product or engineering or sales. I'm just like, as a team, and right now of one, what do we need to do to have visitors go on one side and contacts come out the other? And that way it can be anything. Like if a product person says, oh, a great way to do that would be to put a tool on the site that collects email addresses if blank, right? Like those are all fair game now. It's not, Mm. oh, well, your department is not, (laughs) sorry, your department's engineering, like not that. It's like, well, maybe you actually have an engineer think about how to turn site visits into contacts, right? And that that kind of is what's happening now is that you see more and more product tools being used to do these things. But let me take last takeaway. Right now, I am the process owner of every single one of these, right? All 45. Mm-hmm. I'm not even working on some of them, but all, all 45 of these have Matt Wensing's initials <laughs> as, the, mm-hmm. as the owner. To me, the company that I'm building is going to be someone architects these, right? And right now that's just the founder. Someone operates these. It's someone's job to optimize these. Yeah. And then it's someone's job to execute these. And I really think that like now resources and skill sets and all of that, it's not about your title. It's about, we need a group of people who can focus on engaged usage for startups that have free accounts, mm. right? And that might not be a team at first, but you get the idea. And like, I can actually see the org chart kind of emerge from this list. Yeah, yeah. but this is basically, the, it's kind of like the, the e-myth, but with, with more like, more maybe more for like our age or like the technology, mm. a technology company. I, I love it. Yeah, and then uh, another practical takeaway is if you do this, each one of these, the input and output can be measured, right? Somehow, hopefully. So you could say, you know, we can measure the number of site visits and the number of contacts. We can me- So if you can measure the IO on every one of these, those are your company performance KPIs, right? Yeah, yeah. you could do the whole OKR thing. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's... Because you have the objectives. The objectives are the different steps. That's right. I want to increase the number of... And, well, here's the thing. The objectives are and aren't the steps. I think what we said earlier on this podcast is... I have one here. Site visits become contacts. If I hold this out in front of me, if the goal is simply to increase contacts and and you were an output, if you were an outcome, not sure which one you want to say, but let's just say results-oriented company, you might reward somebody for going out there and buying a list of email yeah. addresses, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And what we're basically saying is no, by by being explicit about the input and the output, yeah. you're only rewarding ideas and execution that turn the this specific kind of input into this specific kind of output because we think this kind of input is repeatable. Right. So if somebody, yeah. if I were to blow $10,000 on a, li- a mailing, I mean, you wouldn't spend that $100 and go buy 100,000 email addresses. I haven't actually built this process in my company yet. Yeah. It's a hack. But you, I mean, you could phrase this as, as, as the objective, right? The objective is to make this step work, like with the input <sighs> and the output. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. If the, the objective for this quarter is to make these, you know, this one or these three work. Right. And then the key results become how you measure those things. So 
I kept geeking out for a little while. I mean, it was a 14-hour flight or whatever. So I'm like, some of these things are harder to measure. Do I currently have metrics for every one of these 45? And then which ones am I focused on now? And it was, it felt really good because I feel like this is what I'm building. Give yourself credit for the things you figured out um, with your existing conversations, you know, with um, with the other two hosts and like document those in a way that looks official, yeah. <laughs> as official as you can make it so that it's basically a, before you know it, somebody else, the, the 90th, 90th of these that comes along, it's like, oh, here's our partner kit, right? Yeah. And, you know, that 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 actually helps those people adopt it because they can take it back to their team and show that around and, and build support and everything else. So you're just, you're scaling it. Right. And I think, you know, you could actually start that now. So you suggest I do like a slide deck or something like that with like how to do a partnership with branch. Uh, yes, I would. That's interesting. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you, can, you can do, you can do a keynote if you want, but you know, cover slide with your logo and uh, you know, partnership, uh, something of part partnerships, um, yeah. integra integration partners checklist or something, and then yeah, just yeah. have two or three slides, one one area per slide, bullet points, and then finish with a uh, kind of a timeline of how long does it typically take beginning to end to go from initial conversation to a successful in the market partnership that's active. yeah. yeah, yeah with the different phases broken out, people, I mean, especially big companies, they love that stuff because in order to do this properly, those people are going to have project managers, integration partnership directors, and all, all these different folks who all need some role in that yeah. world. And if you don't tell them what that world world looks like or that role is, they're going to they're gonna struggle because they're going to have to either make it up or pull it out of you, and it's just going to slow the whole thing down. So um, we... We found a lot more traction with big companies adopting our software. Um, so one of our customers, this is well known, I and mean, so I'm just picking an example, was like Miller Coors, the brewing company. And uh, I remember the first time I showed them a Gantt chart, basically, of what product adoption looked like. And you know, you kind of, you know, crack your knuckles and sit there and go, okay, what does it take? And you're like, okay, yeah, there's the there's the phase where we sit down with all the stakeholders and talk about what their goals are for this product. Like, what do they want to get out of it? And then there's the phase where we, you know, create the rules and permissions and logic in the product, configure it so that it works for them. And then there's a phase where we train everybody how to use it. And then there's the phase where we get feedback. Like by the time you lay all that out, it kind of is like a six week project, you know, yeah. uh, especially at a big company. But, you know, they love that though, because I love it was this like, idea so much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then the thing they love too is like their boss's boss goes like, hey, how's the integration with so-and-so going? And like, oh, we're, we're four weeks in, which is right on track. We are on track. Like, how do you know if you're on track if you don't know what normal looks like, right? Yeah. So, man, people in big companies love their timelines and their estimations of normal. And what I would always say is, look, we're small. We can move really fast. So what I'm about to tell you is based on our experience working with larger companies. Yeah. And the the critical path <laughs> That's amazing. is always, yeah, the critical path is always, uh, it, it's always set by the amount of time you guys have to focus on this. So what I'm going to tell you is if you focus on this full time, we could probably get it done in three weeks, but, you know, between vacations and meeting times and other priorities you have going on, average time to getting this going is four weeks, five weeks, yeah. whatever it is. 
That's the oh, language, dude. man. You know, and having like a nice PDF like that, it's like that's probably the, the best way to communicate that they're not the only partner you're talking to. And that's amazing. Like, I love that idea. Bingo. Before we maybe dive into that, I want to mention or I want you to talk about something you mentioned on the last tiny seed call we had where someone asked about their pricing model and basically was going to yeah. basically give a very basically they were going to pick a very low price compared to what they were aspiring to um, because they don't feel comfortable about the product they have right now compared to basically their product vision. Right. And you has had some thoughts yeah. on that. And basically, I thought it was a very clever way to think about that. Um, sure. sure. Yeah. And you want to share yeah, that? Because share that's that. kind of what you did with uh, Summit in the beginning, right? It is. It is. I Yeah. So I w- wasn't new, um, which is probably why well, as soon as it started being discussed, I was like, oh, I I know what I would do in this case. You um, flipped it. So yeah, the, the question was like, yeah, I de- definitely because uh, you know you can you can think of it as hey, I have a new thing. I, I realize it's not worth a lot. It's not where it should be. Um, you know, uh, kind of rubbing your toe in the ground and and kind of sheepish about it. And I I told the founder I was like, look, what what do you want these people to be paying one day? And I think the answer was let's just actually won't use that answer, but we'll use just generic example. Ninety nine dollars a month. It's like okay, so. That's the price today. It's $99 a month. And you're going to tell the people that that is the price today, even though it doesn't have all the features that make it worth $99 a month. And you're going to tell them good news. <laughs> you get a discount for being an early adopter. And you don't. I realize not all the value is there. I think about half the value is there. I think about 80% of the value is there, 20%, whatever it is. But that means that you're on a monthly plan, so you don't have an annual contract. Um, and because you're on an annual, a monthly plan, there's no pricing commitment on my part to keep it, to keep that discount alive. Right. So basically the idea is every time you release a new feature that really moves the the needle, you know, that discount comes off slowly. And I wouldn't recommend that you maybe do it that iteratively like, Hey, new feature. So the price, the discount change, I would recommend that you say, look, by this date, and this is what I did by this date in the future, this thing is going to be feature complete. And by that date, I'm confident that you'll feel that this price is fair. So what we're going to do is you're going to have a discount until that date. And then that discount comes off and then that's the price and get them to agree to that now, because what you're basically, they're not, they can cancel any time. <laughs> they're getting a discount. They're paying a fair price today, but you're absolutely not putting yourself in a situation where you have to sell them again. That's the part I love. Like upsell. Yeah, no man. Like it's easy to remove discounts it's hard to upsell. And I know it's easier to upsell than to new sell, but it's a lot easier to remove a discount than to upsell. It's, um, especially when somebody's anchored on a cheap price. It just makes so much sense when you think about it, right? Like, so if you give an 80% discount, which is quite significant, it's like, so it's like, hey, you had a huge discount for the past six months. And now that's going to go away because I work really hard to like make all this stuff for you compared to, yep. hey, it's been six months and uh, I'm going to bump your price 5X. <laughs> How do you feel about that? <laughs> yep. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. Have that price in the first place. And you can tell people, I have asked people, when this gets to that point, would you feel comfortable? Will you feel comfortable paying that price? And just get them to answer then. 
And if they say no, then you know that you're misaligned on the value prop. Like, wait, you're saying that if it does this, this, and this, it's not worth $99 a month to you? Well, then maybe I shouldn't. I mean, just take that, walk away, think about it, and decide what you're going to do next because they basically just told you that they're never going to pay the price you want them to pay. Basically, I guess what I'm trying to do is making it easier for me Mm. to get this off the ground because it's really hard right now and it, it, it seems like it's a little bit too hard. Yeah, yeah. You're trying to lift a very wide, <laughs> you know, thing and hoist it over your head. And it's like, okay, yeah. may- maybe I need a lighter, lighter initial, you know, beachhead or, you know, tar- yeah. target. Um, that's what I'm thinking at least. Hmm. Okay. But that's a lot of talk about branch, almost 45 minutes. No, I'm sorry about that. No, it's Whoa. good, man. What was your product called again? <laughs> it's, um, I'm... Yeah, Summit, Summit, it's this, it's this thing. Use Summit.com. We, 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 yeah, um, I talked a lot too. That, that, that's fine. Yeah, it's one, of the, it's one of the things I wish I could, I love talking about this with you. I wish I could get, I wish I knew the answer, right? And I think what's at least nice about this chat we just had is like, you're reaching into the gray fog or soup or whatever. And just like, this is the, this is the hardest part, I think, because... You're like, man, I'm trying to solve this multivariable thing and I'm not, I feel like these ones are probably pretty close to being right, but maybe I need to adjust this. And I mean, this is the hardest part. Like this is the, everything you working is the next step. <laughs> you know what I thought this week? I had a thought like, what if I just keep, let's just say that I keep my technology, <laughs> you know, the core like workings of my product. What if I just like, maybe just as a thought experiment in the beginning, but what if I just, because I feel like I've learned a lot in the past year, um, working on this thing, being in tiny seat, talking to you and a lot of other people. What if I just like thought about how I would start branch over? Like what if I just started from scratch, but I had the product, I had the technology. What would it, what, how would I do it? Yeah. And that's been really interesting to kind of like start to think about that. Like what if I just started over? Like, there's like no one can tell me not to do that think about that man you you definitely you definitely have the time like i (laughs) yeah like what if there's a way to start this over and just find a way that's maybe just you know less hard (laughs) yeah yeah find the avenue you want to go really deep on and use all the assets that you, you already have as like oh cool i get to start here like i get to start with with this um, yeah, yeah, that's a huge it's, advantage. <laughs> yeah, you know, instead of starting with a new product, and like one of the things I would love about Branch is the branding of it. I love my logo. I love the name. Mm. So I love telling people about my company, Branch, and like the startup I work on. And I don't want to give that up. And I, I, I love like the technology of like CI/CD and you know Linux servers and Docker mm-hmm. containers and stuff like that. I, I want to work on that, but. Maybe just like maybe there's something about the model I've chosen right now or the way I go about things that just like make I'm um, just making it harder on myself. And maybe there's a way to just kind of start over a little bit. Your comment about how you a lot of bootstrappers just kind of end up building heavy companies and just like kind of like accepts that. Yep. Um, where with a, like a funded startup or a VC funded startup, someone would 
tell them this, this is not this is not what we this is not a success story like this is not what we, you should build right like and we don't expect you to run this like you you built the wrong thing and we don't expect you to run and maintain this thing yes um, whereas with a lot of bootstrappers they kind of just accept that because you know they get attached to 10k mrr which of course they do because it's their salary mm-hmm. um but a vc funded startup wouldn't get attached to 10k mrr yeah because um, it it wouldn't be a signal of success to them no right they, I, I think that's yeah. worth keeping in mind and like if yeah. brain is really hard right now like maybe it'll keep being hard if i don't change something fundamental about it you need to know what your summit there i found a way to to bring in the name <laughs> what it looks like right like for you if you know going to mars is the goal you're not going to be content with you know building a scooter right or you're not going to be content with building a, a bottle rocket right like you actually do want to build the thing and and that's not necessarily go to mars spacex level thing but it, it's more than a skateboard perhaps and i think it is th- think about this like if you end up building a skateboard shop and you're building skateboards by hand and sanding them and painting them and everything else, that might be a great business. And maybe that's that could be a great business, but you might get bored with it, actually. Like you might not want to run it before you know it. And maybe that's okay too. But I will say there's a lot. It's not an easy transition to go from being a skateboard shop to a motorcycle company. Like those are very different. Like you, you, you're not going to be able to take the person that that wrenches the the you know the bearings onto the skateboard. I'm confusing my words, but like you're not going to take that person and say like start assembling you know like exhaust valves or whatever for a motorcycle. Like it's a different business. So like there is a trap in thinking that you can just build one thing and then do another. Like let me give you an example. You had W. He Pusher. Why didn't you just evolve WP Pusher into Branch? Because yeah, because I fundamentally <laughs> didn't believe that was possible. Right, you, your skateboard couldn't just evolve into Branch, or, or it could, but it would have been really, really ugly. Like really, <laughs> which is which is why I'm skeptical when people say that I should sell Branch to WP Pusher customers, because maybe bringing in those customers <laughs> will recreate the same problem that I had with them. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I don't think great products do somewhat evolve, but there's a lot of, you know, sort of, uh, you end up with some pretty nasty stuff too. Like, I, I, I yeah. don't, I don't, I think if you have the luxury of designing something from the ground up better, you weren't going to evolve. I mean, now let's just start dropping bombs. Like, you wouldn't, you weren't going to evolve SpaceX from NASA, right? You weren't going to evolve you know, some of these new full stack ways of doing things out of, you know, like Remax didn't come up with Zillow or Open Door. Like at some point, what you're basically saying is if you're if you're drinking the Kool-Aid of guys like Mike Maples, what you're actually saying is like, I want to build something that is transformational in my maybe my my vertical, my space, my industry. And it's very unlikely that you're going to like step stone your way there by this like incremental evolutionary process because a lot of evolved things don't end up these glorious humans they end up like catfish and you know bugs and like you you don't necessarily end up with an amazing thing like if you're you know what i mean like and radcliffe said he didn't believe in incremental stuff and he said that he doesn't believe 
and he like he's a very smart guy he's one of the founders of Wealthfront as well i think uh-huh. and um he said that he he doesn't think that everyone should follow the lean startup and he said that there's a r- very big risk when you do that and when you you build a little thing and then you ask your customers and then you build whatever they tell you the problem is when you do that you're most likely going consensus yep Exactly. And then what are you actually aiming towards? And he's basically saying your job when you do as a founder is do is it's it's when you do customer development, you're you're not you don't want to have a big focus group and they tell you what to build, which is what we said last week as well. What you want to do is you as the founder, you have a vision. And what you want to do is you want to go out to people and test your vision. And then maybe you'll need to adjust that vision when you learn stuff. But it, you don't go out to talk to people just to like get them to tell you what you should build. That's right. You need you need to have a big vision for this. I love it. And yeah, I just that really resonated with me. And I think it's just kind of like it's it's repeating like all the other different you know podcasts and advice we've mentioned in the past few weeks. It's, yeah, it, I. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I can't wait to listen to that. And I, I agree, man. You know, I for me, I would not want to do this if I can't be deliberate and decide what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. Yeah, and I'm not going to chase every prospect. I'm not going to try to retain every, especially in the early days. I mean, if you get somebody a year from now using Branch and you know that they're a great fit and they've been using, you know then yes, you want, you want to retain that person. But in the early days yeah. when people are just bumping up against it and you're still trying to figure out who you are and what you are, you can't let a single prospect or customer control or even, I mean, how much do you even let them influence your roadmap, right? I mean, there's so just too much you know, noise. It's way too much noise and way too small data in that sense. And even, you know, out of how many WordPress developers are there and how many have you spoken to, it's it's very easy to imagine that you've only spoken to you know, such a tiny fraction of them. And then out of that fraction, only some fraction are the early adopters. Yeah. So it's, it's got to come. I think intuition has to play a role. So, and, and, and you want to think about the whole crossing the chasm thing. We also talked about last week, because you, it's really, it's actually critical that you build a thing for the early adopters. If you build, if your if your first act is to build a thing for the masses, Mm. you're building, you, you know, you're building the thing of today, not the thing of the future. It's I just it. critical. That's it's really like you, interesting. Yeah. Because if you don't build, like if you need to figure out who the perfect early adopter is essentially and then build something for them that they adopt. Yeah. And then it spreads because otherwise you're just going to be behind from day one and you're going to just try to, you're just catching up. It's just, yeah, yeah. that's not what you want to do, I think. Well, I think what I've learned in the last month talking through this with you is when you release something, you gotta gotta get it to the early adopters in your market, and and those people are your partners, your collaborators, your you know the people that are gonna give you that solid feedback on where the market's going. Yeah, and like if you if you show it to somebody, like I mean, there's so many haters for all. I mean, all the new things have haters, and I guess my point is like, yeah, if you show your new awesome invention or category creator to a mainstream person, you're just not going to get any feedback on 
the future. I mean, they're basically yeah. looking in the rearview mirror at that point. So anyway, it, you know, but it's it's just so hard when you have such limited sample size or exposure. Like, it's yeah. just, you know. So I think like in concrete terms for me, like maybe that means finding the agencies or freelancers that that at least they try to work in a way today that everyone in WordPress will eventually move towards. Yeah. And that's kind of the bet you have to make. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you're right or maybe you're wrong. If you're wrong, at least you tried. But if you're right, that that's when you're going to have a really nice growth curve. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like we, we think of demographics and markets, but we I think you got to get into the psychology of the buyer as well and really understand if this person is open to open to new technology, wanting to have the latest and greatest, puts a value, assigns a premium to that, like values cutting edge over stability and market dominance and, and integrations and all that stuff and wants the thing. And and those are the people that, you know, those are the people that are going to make ends meet for you for the beginning. Something I've been saying online as well lately, which is a lot of startups that are bootstrapped, um, let's just say bootstrapped, uh, certainly independent startups, non-VC, they're really, they're really businesses already. They have a business mm-hmm. model figured out and they're running yeah. it and they're, they're taking money from it and they're buying people to execute on it and just kind of run the mill, if you will. And, you know, once you get to that point, if your amount of revenue per employee gets to a certain number, right, um, then you don't really have a lot of cash to to experiment or to invest in growth at that point. I mean, if you're breaking even, um, you know, where, where do you go from there? You got to keep, got to keep shoveling coal until you get some money in the bank, you know, and that's just a really slow, slow, uh, sledding. Right. Yeah. I guess it it really is about growth. It really is about growth and man, it's possible to grow without, you know, leaving your principles. But, um, Paul Graham had a really, saying that stuck with me still burns it burned in my brain it was uh things that are large uh in many cases grew fast right Mm. i won't say in all cases but you know yeah there's it takes a very special thing to be very large and to have grown slowly and i think that maybe that is the that's the ethos of the bootstrapping world and the independent startup world is that you know it being okay with the slow, sustainable growth that gets yeah. you eventually there. I'll also say though that that is a path that it can be very hard to realize your personal goals on a slow yeah. growth path because while you're growing slowly, you know a lot. You, you know your time's ticking, right? And yeah, your kids are getting older. You're getting older. You have goals that you wanted to hit, and um, there's there's only a certain amount of patience i think that we all have for for slow growth so it, it can be too slow right yeah yeah i think there are a lot of a lot of bootstrap bootstrapper businesses that don't really grow that much there is a uh, one more thing i wanted to follow up from one of the, uh, the latest episodes where we talked about early adapters hmm. and one thing i kind of i think we said but i just felt it more this week i think is one of the things that's really hard if you want to build something for early adopters is essentially like almost everyone you talk to are not going to be super excited about your product, but maybe like 10% are going to be extremely excited about it. Mm. 
and it causes a lot of you know ups and downs because you get people that are really excited and it makes you very excited but you also get a lot of people that don't really get it or don't get back to you or don't care and what i kind of like started to realize this week that maybe that's actually maybe that's actually what i want right now like maybe it's enough if it's the right people that are excited maybe i just need to like deal with you know or focus my attention to them right now and actually that's that's actually the kind of validation i need right now because if everyone liked what i was doing like i don't know maybe maybe it wasn't interesting enough i don't know does that make sense yeah i mean the the timing (laughs) I, i think timing is Timing is people's shorthand way of saying all the variables that we can't control or explain. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's basically, oh, it was timing. You know, it was too early. It was too late. It's like, what does that mean? It means like 30 things didn't line up uh, or 12 <laughs> yeah. didn't line up or whatever. It is. So, but we can just call it timing. Like, um, if you're at the point where some people get it and a lot don't, that to me is a good smell test for timing. Um, if everybody gets it, you're you're late. You know, if everybody gets yeah. it, somebody taught them that and distributed the future already and got everybody on yeah, board yeah. and you're late to the party. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of what I, what I thought to myself was I think that bootstrappers need to basically take some inspiration from more traditional VC types and ask some of the questions that they, they want you to think about. So at least some of the questions I've heard um, from those kinds of, you know, investors is basically questions like, what would it look like if this was easier or if it was easy or what would it take to 10x this that you're doing right now? Mm-hmm. And like these sorts of questions just kind of like led me to <laughs> this idea that I probably, um, it'd probably be hard to 10x this on my own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's really good. I mean, <laughs> something to think about is, you know, are is the hire is the role that you're hiring for? Is it to just do things faster, or is it to allow you to do more things? Right. If if you're expanding the business, I think that's in the right direction, right? Because mm. it frees you up to do more stuff that needs to be done. Yeah. That's actually higher leverage. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where you want to go, you know. I, and this is why, I mean, to some extent, the the first hire being support always, <laughs> always, you know, that that it seems like that's the thing people want to get rid of. And so, oftentimes, they hire, you know. And I did this early on too. Like one of my first hires at Risk Pulse was a support person. Um, yeah. But like looking back, I think it was a mistake I repeated multiple times. And the, the reason was, you know, offloading work you don't want to do does not really move your business. It does not expand your business, right? It it no no it's no. It's just like I, right, like yeah. you're like oh I don't I don't want to do this work anymore, so I'm going to hire somebody to do it. It's like no no no, hire somebody that's going to do things that are awesome, right? Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. like for the first while, and all of you can contribute and do the do the crappy work, right? <laughs> that that yeah, nobody yeah. wants to do exactly. But like hire awesome people who are going to do awesome things, yeah. And so you can keep doing awesome. Like that is just to me that's that's the key. <laughs>